0: Hello and welcome to episode one of the Shane Caraway podcast. So today what we're going to talk about is colonial slavery. Now like a lot of areas uh, specific to American history, uh, it tends to have a very kind of myopic view of slavery in particular. Uh, the first thing that's very important to understand is that when we speak about colonial slavery, we're referring to the... Way in which it existed prior to 1776, so we're dealing with the area of history prior to the Declaration of Independence. So, why this is important is, when you look at the the broader circumstances surrounding the founding of America. Uh, you have to understand as well, or at least have a, a a respectable understanding of just how ingrained slavery was into the colonies, uh, and and then to try to also under, develop an understanding, uh, not so much who was to blame for these circumstances, uh, but to add the context that's necessary uh, just to kind of carry that over into later uh, years and uh, developments and claims that are often made by uh, modern uh, historians. So a lot of the information, a lot, because we're going to go through some sti- statistical information, and a lot of that is actually drawn uh, from slavevoyages.org and a large bulk of the information is taken from uh, Africana, the Encyclopedia of the African and African-American Experience Uh, for those who uh, are just new to what I do uh, a lot of this information is also contained uh, in greater detail in volume one of the 1787 project okay so first Dealing with colonial America as as a land mass, it was not America. Uh, You had British colonies, yes, everyone knows that, because that's where our history derives from. Uh, But what's examined in far less detail is that that there was territory held by Spain, Portugal, Dutch Republic, Netherlands, and France. This was new territory. and So every one of the the world's uh, most powerful nations at the time uh, wanted to come to this new place, develop their own colonies, and of course enrich themselves materially uh, from whatever they could find there. Now, the actual first slaves that were brought into the landmass that later became the United States uh, was Spain. Spain introduced African slaves in 1526. Uh, they brought it was generally into their uh, Caribbean plantations, of which they had many, uh, In 15. 15- uh, 17, there were uh, more sla- or slaves were actually delivered from Spain uh, into Hispaniola. Uh, and that actually goes back as far as 1502. So if you're, look, if you're examining slavery from that perspective as far as its duration, you know, you're looking at over 250 years of an ingrained uh, tradition prior to the Declaration of Independence. Between... So, excuse me. So, examining uh, the transatlantic slave trade, the Atlantic slave trade, uh, the trafficking of slaves into that uh, into the New World, let's say. Now, most most accounts uh, kind of frame the United States as as being like this uh, a hub, like a pivotal point in the slave trade uh, that. The greatest occurrences in uh, coastal colonies or the slave auctions and, and the like. Uh, in reality, though, when you examine the totality of numbers, uh, total numbers shipped specifically uh, into the various colonies, and then apply that to the nations that actually own those colonies, it was only sort of, you know, what would become the United States is only responsible for one point nine percent of all of these importations. 1.9% is a small enough figure that it could be a, essentially a rounding error. Now, if you if you modify these same numbers just slightly and you examine it instead uh, for how all of these were imported into British colonies, so not just in uh, not just the the, the more narrow range here, you're still only going to come up with a number around 5.6%. And if you extend the time range out to 1866, so we're examining 1501 to 1866, the colonies and states actually dropped to only 2.46% of all slave imports. Now, just as a matter of context, Portugal, or Brazil at the time, uh, was responsible for around 47% of all slave importations during the same time period. Another interesting thing to note here is even, you know, extending ourselves for a brief moment beyond the colonial period that helps to highlight uh, some of the data provided earlier. At its peak population, this number is thrown around, <laughs> I don't know, just habitually. Uh, the United States, or more specifically, I should say, the southern United States, uh, possessed about 4 million slaves, it was the largest number that was at peak at any one particular time. That number is often held up, and it's kind of evidence to this uh, this obsession or fixation that, uh, again, incorrectly and erroneously applied to all Americans had on slaves. It was just the South. Uh, Rome. They're, Rome is kind of a, a significant society. Uh, their peak was 4.5 million slaves, so America can't even claim the mantle Uh, For the most total slaves owned at one time. We're still defeated by uh, the Roman Empire. Who also uh, possessed slaves in in a number and for a duration of time. That makes the United States a blip on the larger historical record. So if you accept that 1776 marked the official start of the United States. Which... I phrase it that way because an argument can be made that it was 1787, and that is hence the name, uh, or help fuel the name rather for uh, my book series. But if you accept that year, 1776, the slave trade was officially banned at the federal level in 1808, uh, January first, 1808, actually, and signed by Thomas Jefferson, uh, and that was actually that was a fulfillment of guarantees made during the Constitutional Convention. Uh, and the slave trade clause or compromise, uh, depending which side of history you like to uh, examine things from. With these two dates, seventeen seventy six and eighteen o eight, America participated in the slave trade for uh, thirty two years. Now that that still sounds rather atrocious, as it should. Slavery is a disgusting thing. Uh, but examining also. Uh, Just going forward in time briefly again. Uh, Founded in 1776, America only practiced slavery for 89 years. Now these numbers may not seem like much in isolation. France practiced slavery for 160 years. So the next closest developed western nation to us uh, was still double. The next, Britain practiced chattel slavery for over 300 years. Spain was very close to, to 400 at 394. And Portugal is the reigning champion with over 700 years of institutionalized chattel slavery. And of course, for a lot of these other countries and nations, their advantage, in, in a sense, were that these slaves were held in colonies. Okay, Britain did not have very many slaves on the mainland instead like with america they forced slavery onto their colonies as a ways of providing uh well cheap labor and there were more reasons than just cheap labor Uh, the brits felt that large slave populations destabilized the colonies in which they were correct And that this destabilization itself would disincentivize any hope of rebellion. As we know from the history of the United States, that did not work. So examining for a moment Britain and their role in all this. So specific to that time frame again between or before prior to Declaration of Independence, we were British colonies. Uh, It was actually called the British Colonies of North America or BNA. By 1770, 20% of the population of all British colonies were were slaves. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean black slaves, just as a point of of historical context. That was very common, especially with the French and the Spanish, uh, to enslave indigenous peoples when they established new regions. There were numerous laws throughout the colonies and policies, that they were adopted to try to uh, either restrict the slave trade or to ban slavery completely. Now, not all reasons for this were were morally superior. It was a very basic examination of economics. Uh, If one instituted slave labor as the primary uh, source of labor, that excludes all skilled labor, that excludes also any incentive for colonization. If there's no work, then there's no reason to move to a new place. So severe, in fact, was this insistence on slavery that King George III threatened pain of the highest displeasure if colonies did not reverse their anti-slavery policies. And there are several instances where these policies were instituted strictly from a moral perspective. Unfortunately, Uh, he was successful in forcing the colonies to adopt and expanded slavery uh, since it was forced upon uh, especially southern colonies any hope or growth of the economy or productivity or industriousness necessitated yet more slaves to satisfy that labor market this actually was such a big deal it became the subject of the Declaration of Independence and its most famous and unfortunately omitted portion. Thomas Jefferson accurately blamed King George uh, and Britain more generally for the perpetuation of slavery in the then-forming states. Uh, that passage was unfortunately omitted, uh, vetoed, as it were, uh, by slave-holding colonies and also out of for those who felt that uh, attacking the British people probably was not the best means of establishing oneself uh, prior to what would likely be a massive war, which is exactly what, exactly what occurred as a consequence. But an interesting notion for the Declaration, uh, which I'll get into more detail in the next episode, is that it was predicated in large part with the refusal of King George III to allow the individual colonies to adopt their own policies with slavery, which at this time meant that 11 out of 13 colonies, uh, at least up to the Declaration of Independence, were more than happy to abolish slavery outright. It was only two states, predictably South Carolina and Georgia, uh, who vetoed that notion. Another good comparison to make to try and draw a little clearer context for uh, not just the American slave trade, but the transatlantic slave trade in general, or we'll say uh, slave trafficking in in the western areas, is the Arab slave trade. Now just recently this has become something uh, that scholars have kind of gotten a little more relaxed, I guess discussing some of the information that's actually been known for a very long time. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to quantify some of these numbers uh, because records weren't taken as well as they were for the transatlantic slave trade. There weren't as many shipping manifests and and the like. And that alone is actually uh, a good detail. Uh, slaves were considered so low that they weren't even inventoried in many respects. Uh, as far as duration, uh, Islamic states continue to practice slavery regularly today. Uh, so that's an unfortunate Uh, thing now several of them have outlawed the slave trade at least on paper uh i believe it was uh, saudi arabia maintained their slave trade and ownership until 1968 Uh, Mauritania was also later into the 20th century now at this particular time uh so you had the transatlantic slave trade going on and again i would need to preface these numbers by saying that many of these are just derived from calculations based on mortality rates and slaves shipped, uh, slaves sold to other nations and that kind of thing. Uh, But approximately 16 million slaves uh, were trafficked overland in that same about 348 year window that the Transatlantic slave trade uh, went on. So in sheer volume, you know, uh, the Transatlantic trade was about 12 million. And then you look at the Arab slave trade, and you're looking at 16 million. So the sheer volume alone, it's 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 more than significant. But it gets very, uh, I guess, disturbing is the mortality rates. So the uh, the transatlantic slave trade is often held up as like um, this terrible death sentence. You know, to be on a ship vessel was was tantamount to death, and it was pretty rough. Uh, about 12 percent mortality rate as kind of averaging most of the the speculation out there. Uh, And, of course, that changed later on in the trade rate or the the trade because the ships became faster, they kind of developed better systems or whatever. Now, this isn't meant to glorify the transatlantic slave trade, but the Arabs did that themselves in many respects. Uh, The lowest end for the uh, Arab overland route was 30% mortality. And that requires a very important qualifier because one of the hallmarks of Arab, Arab slavery was, was castration. Uh, if you were a male, you were castrated. Uh, so common was this practice that uh, castration centers were set up along trade routes uh, in order to castrate uh, male slaves. Uh, and actually, the Venetians even had a castration center because they activated or participated as kind of a trade hub uh, later on. Now if you look at this At the the male slave rate let's say Although that's politically incorrect But yes uh, male slaves were the ones who were castrated 90% mortality rate Now this figure is harrowing uh, is So if one were to be given the option Especially as a male Would you prefer to be captured and trafficked Transatlantic slave trade or Arab slave trade uh, The answer is pretty clear the duration of slaves of slavery practiced by uh, Arab nations is also extreme. Some of the first naval wars uh, fought by uh, the newly formed America were against uh, slave traders from the Barbary pirates that often operated as slave traffickers for the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and they practiced ex- almost ex- extensively, if not exclusively, with, with white slaves. Uh, they, they captured somewhere between 1 to 1.25 million European slaves. Uh, And they were also, uh, especially the the Ottomans later on, uh, they preferred Circassian female slaves. Uh, So if you examine the rest of the world, uh, it kind of helps clarify the circumstances in the colonies as well. And so what about Africa? Uh, One of the kind of common misconceptions out there is that Englishmen were showing up in boats and conducting slave raids into the heart of Africa and snatching, the, snatching African tribes and Aborigines out of their huts or temples and then transporting them back to the coast on their ships uh, to sell uh, in the, on our mainland. And that was impossible. Uh, nobody went into the African heart except for other Africans. Uh, there were a series of slave trading posts that were established on the coasts, and there were some slave raiding on the coast. The Spanish in particular and the Portuguese were notorious for raiding any coastal villages. Uh, but other than that rare exception that cannot be attributed to the United States, uh, pretty much all of the slaves that we purchased at any given time were secondhand. Uh, we never were engaged and actively procuring these slaves uh nor that we need to uh the ethnic and kinship variety of slavery throughout Africa uh, pretty well ensured that there were always slaves available so the kind of the the kind of going number at this point is that uh, about 7.2 million slaves were kidnapped and trafficked in the transatlantic slave trade but they were purchased directly from slave or from uh african slave traders this was a bustling industry in Africa that actually established a certain level of wealth that maintains itself to the modern day. Another kind of interesting fact with uh, how slavery was conducted, especially earlier uh, in, the, in the colonies, uh, was opportunistic. Uh, there were no racial predicates. Uh, Amerindian slaves were captured and, sla- and enslaved because they were there. In uh, and, and fact, as far as, uh, you know, if, if one was going to define what makes a quote-unquote good slave, it would not be an Amerindian. They were uh, very reluctant to be controlled, and they were very prone to escape. And, of course, having intimate knowledge of the land th- that, they, that surrounded them and better knowledge than the ones who, who capt- captured them, uh, they had a propensity to escape. Uh, so they were often shipped off into the Caribbean, especially, uh, Spain preferred to capture and then ship and then essentially trade Amerindians for Africans. But another lesser known part of the Amer- Amerindian participation is that like the Africans, they too participated in the slave trade directly. Uh, many native lands, if you were a fleeing slave, your danger did not end at the border of the colony, uh. Numerous tribes practiced not just enslaving Africans for their own use, uh, but operated as bounty hunters, slave catchers. And so they would uh, actually capture their return slaves and, of course, be compensated for their efforts. Uh, One of the least known, but should be known, uh, relevant examples of uh, black slave ownership, which is also very prevalent at this time throughout all the colonies. In fact, all 13 colonies had blacks who owned other blacks as slaves. Um, a gentleman by the name of John uh, Kayser was an indentured servant, which was the primary means of satisfying labor in the early life of the colonies. So his, his indenture, his contract, was bought by a man named Andrew Johnson. Uh, there was a, a series, of, series of events uh, that resulted in Andrew Johnson claiming John Kayser as his slave, and ultimately, that claim was upheld uh, in a very biased uh, and awful court. And in fact, that was the first time in American soil that a man had been legally defined as a slave that wasn't the result of committing a crime. Being, being a criminal, being made into someone's slave was not uncommon, especially to satisfy debts. Now, the most interesting part of this whole thing is that both men were African uh, Andrew Johnson had come over as an indentured servant and had done very well for himself. Uh, unfortunately, he did not t- uh, allow John Caser to experience that same kind of colonial dream, let's say, uh, and instead ended up owning him for the remainder of his natural life. Now, African slaves, more generally, also were not pursued for any instance of Race as it existed at the time, which was very ambiguous and difficult, really, to define. Uh, the most obvious variable at play here was availability. Now, due to the prolific slave trading practices of other nations, Africa, uh, Portugal, and Spain in particular, the supply was such that to satisfy slave labor, it was nonsensical to use anything other than African slaves. Uh, They were available, they were the cheapest, and most critically of all, uh, they tended to be very resistant to malaria. Now, malaria was such a scourge on some of the southern plantations who depended really on kind of that wetland subtropical climate for their crop production. There were instances where entire colonies, perhaps, had been wiped out. Uh, Others where they weren't destroyed completely, but they're effectively rendered inert. and uh, They either returned back to the mainland or reintegrated into other colonies. It was a very, very dangerous um, you know, place to live. Uh, mosquito-borne illnesses were the leading cause of death at that time in some of these colonies. And so once you find that no, oh, African slaves are actually resistant to malaria, so they can work out in the fields. so when if they're bitten, they won't die, unlike the Europeans. Uh, then that just actually, that actually raised their value, and this is reflected in the slave markets at the time as well, where you had uh, slaves who were, whose point of origin were those areas most noted for malarial resistance, and they were actually sold at a higher price than those who were not. And this was such a, such a, <laughs> a well-established fact at the time, Uh, that you can see those same kind of alterations in slave value reflected in the Arab markets as well, uh, because uh, the Arabs also had uh, plantations, and those plantations were also plagued uh, with mosquitoes, and particularly malaria. So when you get up to the year of 1775, there's a lot of information here, and I've just kind of thrown it out there. Uh, Nothing quite piles up as comfortably as statistics, I know. But the overall contextual changes that this information makes is critical to later understanding uh, the Declaration, the Constitution, the founding in general, uh, and also to the developments and evolutions of political theory that uh, the rise of Calhounism, the establishment of the Democratic Party... And really that notorious American South that has become such a a trope in historical and academic writings alike. But examining America's role, or at least those regions that would later become America, was negligible. Um, We were hardly involved in slave trafficking. Uh, Our colonies... The vast majority of colonies attempted to restrict, if not outright abolish, slavery and the slave trade. Uh, And it was really only due to the pressures of the mother nation of Britain and King George that we were not allowed to do so. Uh, Other nations, the Ottoman Empire, for example, uh, they were still capturing and selling European slaves well after America had banned all slavery in its borders. And this is still true up to the modern day. Uh, There are countries that routinely practice slavery. Uh, We tend to call it human trafficking now, but it is slavery. It is slavery in every respect of the word. And curiously enough, the slave trade of the modern day, uh, while it's still used to satisfy labor in some areas, it's largely uh, the trafficking of of, uh, slaves for sexual purposes. And that was the hallmark of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, to be a slave in the arab caliphate meant that you had one of two purposes if you were a male you would be castrated and if you survived which is unlikely you would serve in the military or as a eunuch to guard the harems of very wealthy uh, arab men who tempted as much as they could to populate those harems full of white women uh, believing of course that Uh, the offspring of these white women, especially the Circassian women, would be intellectually superior. Uh, So the next episode, we're going to talk about the Declaration of Independence, because now with all this information just provided, all of this was impacting the uh, convention and really kind of played a critical role in how America addressed slavery going forward. Uh, we find that a lot of the concerns expressed by the founders and others at the time, the learned men at the time, uh, were very accurate. And perhaps most importantly, and most excluded from the conversation, is just how vehemently opposed to slavery 11 out of 13 colonies were at the formation of the United States in 1776. So, thanks for listening, and we will talk about the declaration coming up.